We'll read from Isaiah. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I invite you to please uh, join with me in prayer. Father, again, we uh, look to you for help. Our desire uh, is to know you more, is to see you more clearly, as, as we've been speaking about, to have your light shine upon us uh, that we might be made whole through you. And so we pray now as we are listening uh, to your word together uh, that your light would shine in our hearts, just as when you spoke, let there be light, you shone in the darkness, that you would shine in our hearts with the knowledge of your glory. Uh, that we might be changed and made to look more and more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what kind of leader do you think uh, we need? What kind of leader do you think our world needs? Or, or what kind of leader do you think even our, our country needs? There are a lot of different experts who give us opinions about what kind of leadership we need. Maybe it's someone who we've, we're told needs to be really strong to kind of direct things a certain way, or, or maybe it's someone with great charisma who can speak well and, and people want to follow, or, or maybe what we need is a leader who is really intelligent. Again and again, we're being told what kind of leader we need. Well, we're working through Isaiah chapter 9, and we get to really the heart of our passage. And what we find is Isaiah also telling us the kind of leader that we need. And the answer is quite different. So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we went from seeing about how in this grave and difficult time, in this dark time, Isaiah, as he looks into the future, sees light. 
And last week we saw that there, this was this news of hope, this call to hope, even in the face of all evidence. And now when we get to the verses that we're focusing on today, we see where that hope is found. That hope is found in a specific leader. That's, that's what the promise of this passage is about. It's about a specific leader. We see it after verse 5. Do you remember last week this image of war being over of boots and, and war robes being burnt in the fire because there's no more? Verse 6 tells us how it will take place. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. In other words, he will be a leader. He will be a ruler. It is going to be some leader that God gives that will bring us to this, this time. He's the one who's the source of hope and light. And, and what, what is this leader like? What kind of leader do we need? Well, we have these four titles. The last two essentially tell us the effect that he has. Prince of Peace. He is the one, through his leadership, who will bring about this peace that these verses are speaking of. He's the everlasting Father. Which at least, if not more, implies that his reign will be stable, that there will not be a back and forth and other leaders. He will reign and he will reign and there will be stability. But the first two titles, I think, tell us more about who this leader is, what kind of leader he is. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He's a leader with wisdom. He's a leader who, when he speaks, there is an authority to what he says so that people sense that weight to his words, that there is wisdom. He's a counselor who is wonderful. And, and this, I think, is perhaps the most mysterious of these titles for people who would have first heard this. This leader shall be called Mighty God. What could that mean for a human being to be called mighty God? I'm sure that is the question as people were hearing Isaiah's prophecy they would have asked. What it at least would have meant to them is that this ruler is so, so filled with God, so faithful to God, that everything he did would reveal God to the people. That through this ruler they would see God more clearly. That at least is what people would have understood that this is the kind of leader that Isaiah is talking about. And in fact, if we, if we moved a little further, so chapter 11, Isaiah's prophecy kind of in chapter 9 doesn't stop. 11 is kind of like, if, if 9 is the wide-angle lens, chapter 11, it's like Isaiah takes a zoom and goes into greater detail. And so as he's describing this same leader in chapter 11, here's what he says about him. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Here's Isaiah's answer to the question, what kind of leader do we need? We need a leader who knows God. That, that, that's ultimately what this is talking about. He has such an intimate 
connection to God, that God's mysterious, powerful spirit is, is permanently resting upon him. So in his internal life, there is this connection to God, this knowledge of God. He delights in the fear of God. Every desire he has, every plan he has, every intuition he has is shaped by the knowledge of God. That's, that, says Isaiah, is the leader that will bring about the salvation that we need. And if we keep going in this kind of zoom lens of chapter 11, he actually explains to us why. And he explains with one of the most glorious, beautiful pictures in all of Scripture. It's often one that's read during this time. I'll read it to us right now in chapter 11. We've already seen this image of peace, the boots and, and the robes being burnt. And now the zoom lens tells us even more about what this peace will be like. We read that the wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with a young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze together, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Did you you catch the imagery here? I have a a friend of mine who who is now in Kenya. He teaches at a college there, and they have many young children. And and I think we're supposed to kind of envision, imagine if this friend of mine's three-year-old boy was just kind of playing around in the backyard and noticed a hole, and, you know, three-year-old boys are curious, and so he just kind of reaches his hand in this hole and pulls out this poisonous viper. I mean, can you think of anything more terrifying as an image for a parent? But instead of this viper being aggressive, it's like a pet, and they play together because there's no danger. Meanwhile, in the fields in the distance, you have, you know, little baby calves skipping around, playing around with little bear cubs, and, and the, the parents kind of looking on, and there's, there's no sense of menace. And, and under a tree, there is a wolf whose head is kind of just leaned against a lamb like a pillow, and there's, there's no danger. It's just perfect harmony. A friend of mine told me about how one time he, um, his, his little boy, asked him, Daddy, why are there bitey things? You know, why, why are there dangerous, scary things in this world? It's actually a really profound question. There's a sense that we have from, from a really young age that this world is not right, that there's a danger that shouldn't be, that it is, it's pulled apart, that that it's out of joint. And Isaiah says, but there will come a time, a time so beautiful where everything will be back in joint, where there are no more bitey things, where there is perfect harmony. And he says, and here's why. Here's what will happen. Here's the thing that is going to cause that world being put back in joint. The very last verse of this image, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There will be no harm, they shall not destroy, because the earth will be full 
of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Think of, think of how, like, the ocean floor, how if you're in the ocean floor, it's completely covered by water. There's water everywhere. It shapes everything. And it's saying in the same way that the water covers the ocean floor so that there's water everywhere, so also one day will the knowledge of God be so present that it will cover us and immerse us so that everything that we think, everything that we see, everything that we do will be shaped by this experiential connection to God. That, Isaiah says, that, when that happens, the world will be back in joint and all will be harmonious. To understand why this is, let me, let me take what seems like a tangent, but hopefully you'll see the connection in a moment, and talk, of all things, about scurvy. Now, I don't know if you know much about scurvy. Scurvy actually was a horrible disease for the age of exploration, the age of Magellan and Columbus and James Cook. Two million sailors at least were killed by scurvy. That's more than three times the entire death toll of the Civil War through scurvy. And, and scurvy, if you don't know the symptoms, it is quite literally the body falling apart. It begins with, you know, like the sores on the skin that become more and more pronounced and ulcers. Um, the gums become black and teeth fall out and, and breath becomes horrible. Bones start breaking, and even at a mental level, things start kind of falling apart. There's stories of sailors who are these hardened, toughened people just sitting down and crying because they were longing for home. Everything falls apart through scurvy. But one of the things that's interesting about this is, unlike so many diseases, all of the symptoms, everything about scurvy is traced down to one really simple cause, a lack of vitamin C. A lack of fruit juice. What would happen is you'd have these sailors who for a month or two months were having no fresh food whatsoever, and all of the vitamin C that was in their muscles and that was in their fat would be used up, and then their bodies would start breaking down because the vitamin C is needed for your cellular structure. So the cells at a cellular level start breaking down without vitamin C. Everything, the, the skin, the bones, everything is because of that one simple need. Even that, that sense of longing and crying, people, uh, scientists believe it's probably because the body was just crying out, I need to be back where I want had fruit. Everything is traced to this one simple need. Now, the reason I bring this rather gruesome picture up is I think we should see our world as having a spiritual case of scurvy. We see, we see disintegration everywhere. There's, there's disintegration of the mind. Uh, where we need wisdom, we see foolishness. There's a disintegration of the emotions where we need love and joy. There is selfishness and despair so often. There's a disintegration of society where we feel we need purpose. There's aimlessness where we want unity. It's, it's all things being kind of torn apart. And, and just like with scurvy, it all can be traced back to one simple cause. An absence of the knowledge of God. Scripture tells us that God is the one in whom everything holds together, and that the knowledge of God is the source of everything we need. So, so wisdom, 
How, how is wisdom found? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. As we, as we know God, we understand reality more deeply, and that gives us a heart of wisdom. Joy is found in knowing God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is where joy is found, Scripture tells us. How do we learn to love? We're told we love because he first loved us. Purpose is found in God. Let the one who is wise not boast in his wisdom. Let the strong not boast in his strength. But here's what one should boast in. Let him boast that they know me, says God. That is is purpose. And and unity, unity is found in God. There will be no harm on my mountain because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. Do we see, we need to know God. And that means when, when there is a, a kind of nationwide, worldwide turning away from God, what will the effect be? We, I think it's so common, it's so much a part of our reality that we don't realize how diseased we are, how, how sick we are. There is a longing deep within where there's an awareness of a need for something else, but what we don't see is that what we need is to be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And Isaiah says that is what will happen. There will be a day where the world will once again be full, where we will know God where we will be made whole again. And the leader is the one who will bring us to that. That This is why, as we saw, that what we need is a leader who knows God. Because, you know, wherever the leader goes, his people follow. That's just a, a general simple principle. We, maybe we don't think of that in terms of our own personal lives, but, but I think we probably don't realize just how much you and I are generally led. We like to think of ourselves as individuals who are making our own decisions, but everything we do, everything we decide is because we've been influenced, if we just think about it for a moment. I mean, every word you have ever said, you first heard spoken to you. Every relationship, as you're learning how to relate, how do you learn how to make friends and how to love people? It's because other people have loved you in that way to begin with. How have you been shaped by what you want to do with your life, with your future? You have seen something in other people, whether you even remember it consciously or not. There are influences that you have had that have shaped you. That's why parents are so concerned sometimes about where, what kids, your, your, our kids are hanging out with because that influence is so important because we are people who just by nature are led. And so if we are led by people who do not know God, so also that's where we go. I mean, that's, that's what we've seen in the story of Ahaz. That's, remember the context as Isaiah is preaching. He's preaching to a nation who is led by a king, Ahaz, whose only rule of thumb is if it makes sense to me, that's what I will do, and I will completely disregard the knowledge of God. And as a result, the entire nation is completely without the knowledge of God. Because of a bad leader, it has led everyone wrong. You know, just going back to this... Uh, uh, scurvy. One of the, the tragedies, one of the strangest thing about the fact that this disease happened for centuries, really, was that really the solution was known early on. It was, it was found. I mean, you have some places where they would plant lemon trees because of a belief that that would probably solve it, and of course it did. But the problem was you have a number of captains who are influential who had a different theory. James Cook was one of them. He believed that malt, malt was what would stop scurvy. 
Conveniently, malt is the primary ingredient in beer. And so you would have James Cook's ships and anyone who was influenced by James Cook just making sure that whenever some scurvy signs were shown, they would have lots of beer. And what that meant was they never actually got the cure and things got worse and worse. Yes, they had plenty of malt and malt is fine, but they needed something else. And that's the way Ahaz was. Ahaz was like, here's what our solution is. Here's what we need. And people went that direction. And all the while, they need this over here. They need the knowledge of God. I mean, we see it today, don't we? The number of different recipes or solutions that we are given by leaders. You know, if we want to be happy, we just need to love ourselves more and be true to ourselves. If we want to understand the world rightly, we just need to put aside every superstition and just study science. If we want to be a nation that holds together and is united, we just need to learn to tolerate each other. Now, these aren't necessarily bad things, but they're malt. That is, they are not what is most needed, and if that's what people look to as their solution, they will starve themselves from what they most desperately need, and that is the knowledge of God. And that means that what is needed more than anything else in our leader is someone who knows God, who the Spirit rests upon, who in every way is so shaped by his awareness, his intimacy, his connection to God that it flows out in everything he does so that every decision he makes is righteous and justice and filled with God so that the entire people will be filled with the knowledge of God. And that, Isaiah says, is the king that is coming. That's the leader who is coming, someone who is so full of God that through him the whole world will be full of the knowledge of God. Let me ask you, is that, is that what you look for in what influences you. Do you see that more than anything else, you need to know God more and you need one who will help you to do that? That's what Isaiah says. So this is the prophecy of Isaiah. This really is what chapter 9 and chapter 11 is about, that there will come a leader so full of God that he will fill the world with the knowledge of God and everything will be made right. And I'm sure it's no surprise to you where this sermon is going. We're in Advent. We know what we're looking forward to. What is abundantly clear, if we just look, is that what Isaiah is speaking of 700 years before it happens is Jesus. I mean, could it be any clearer as we go through what he has said? The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. We were, in this time, we're focusing, especially in a couple of weeks, on, on the birth of Jesus and how, what, what is told Mary, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will give birth to a child. From the very beginning, the Spirit was what brought Jesus into this world. And then when Jesus begins his ministry, what happens? He is baptized, God speaks a word of blessing, and the Spirit comes down like a dove and rests upon him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And he knows, he knows God. He says, no one knows the Father except the Son. I have been sent by him and I know him. 
And he says, I don't really even do anything unless it's been shown to me by the Father. I don't say anything unless the Father has said to me everything the Father says I delight in and I do. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And what do people say when he first starts his ministry? He speaks with authority like no one else. He speaks unlike any of the other teachers. He is a wonderful counselor. And what Isaiah couldn't even fully understand, what no one who was hearing could fully understand, is that in every actual way, Jesus is not just someone who represents God, but Jesus is the Son of God incarnate. He is mighty God. He says, Philip, don't you understand? If you see me, you see the Father. Do you see how to the detail in every way, Isaiah, without understanding exactly what he was speaking of 700 years before, was speaking of the one person that our world needs, and that is Jesus. And if you see that, if you see the connection, then what is important for us to understand, in fact, we will not understand who Jesus is or what he has come to do unless we understand this, that he came with a very specific agenda, and that agenda is that you and I and the whole world would be filled with the knowledge of God. Right? That's what this prophecy is saying, the, that Jesus came to fill us with the knowledge of God. I say that because we're in a time right now of you know, manger scenes, and Christmas cards with words like hope and joy and peace and all that's great. I'm not criticizing any of that. But the danger is, is that sometimes through that we can kind of become confused into thinking that Jesus came to make us comfortable and cozy. Now just to be clear, there is a sense that actually that's real. That Jesus came so that on the last day the wolf would lie down with the lamb and all would be right. But he came to do it in a way that's probably different from how we think. He didn't come to do it in a way to make right now our lives experience the American dream without any suffering. He came to make us, to help us be filled with the knowledge of God. And everything about his ministry again and again tells us that's why he was here. So the very beginning of John, it says, no one knows the Father except the Son and the ones to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. He came to show God. Midway through his ministry, he says, no one knows the Father except the Son and the ones to whom the Son chooses to reveal. And then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you ever noticed the connection? He's saying, I and I alone will help you to truly know God. Come and I will give you the rest that comes in truly knowing God. When he prays before going to the garden, before going to the cross, he says, Father, you have given me the task, and I have given people eternal life, and this is eternal life, to know you. I have come so that people would know you. And when he goes to the cross, he goes to remove the barriers of, of distance from God because of sin and judgment so that we might be right with God, so that we might know him. Because only as we know God, only as the world is filled with the knowledge of God, will things be made right and things be in harmony the way that they were created to be. That's, that's what we need in our leader, and that's what Jesus came to do. And I think it's important for us to, to see that because sometimes we can get so confused. 
Sometimes we go, I know God loves me. I know I'm promised that Jesus is on my side, but when I experience my life right now, it doesn't feel like that. And I think sometimes it's because we, we have forgotten what Jesus' agenda for us actually is. Jesus didn't come to just make things feel better for a moment. He came to make things better forever. And that means he came so that you would know, that you would know God. And everything that he is doing, every challenge that you work through, every hardship or suffering in this, our Lord is enabling you more and more to be filled with the knowledge of him. That's, that's what we need in a leader. We need a leader. We need Jesus who will make this world right, who will make us right by filling us with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, in this time of Advent, so much of the emphasis is on kind of waiting and longing. I think one of the right prayers of, of Advent is, come then, Lord Jesus, come. And even as we are praying that in our hearts, I invite you to pray, even with, pray with even greater specificity. Lord Jesus, you are my leader. Please fill me more and more with the knowledge of God. Fill us, fill this world more and more with the knowledge of you, even as the waters cover the sea. Maybe I invite you even to pray that with me now. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and in just a moment, I'll move right from kind of the prayer that I'm praying into a prayer of confession. So be ready. Maybe have your bulletins open. Um, but would you please join with me in prayer? Father, um, what we so little see with clarity, but what is so true from your Scripture is how deeply we need to know you. Uh, not just to know facts about you, not just to know about the fact that you are real, but to actually know you. Father, I thank you that when you sent your Son to rescue us, you sent him that we might know you. And we pray that even in this time we are, when we are considering the gift of your Son, that you would open our minds and open our hearts, fill us with a longing to know you, and then fill us with the knowledge of you that we might be changed. And Lord, responding to you, we, we pray this, these words of confession together. Heavenly Father, your Son is our truest hope, worthy of our undivided faith. He is the source of our deepest joy, and in him alone do we have peace together. Yet we confess that we so often look elsewhere for these things. We place our hope in the promises of this world, and we trust the things we feel we can control. We seek satisfaction and peace in the pleasures and comforts of the moment. We confess to you and to each other that we are idolaters. We have sinned against you who love us. Father, unfulfilled and ashamed, we ask for your forgiveness. By your Spirit, turn our hearts toward Jesus. Help us to look to him for all that we need, that we might serve him faithfully to the glory of your name. Amen.
hear the good news of the gospel. The same prophet, the prophet Isaiah, declares that this great light, that this great leader that God has promised, he comes to take our sins away. Here is the prophecy from Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, your sins are forgiven and you are at peace with God. Thanks be to God.